you know what it's like to have a secret? And we're back. Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. I'm your co-host, Mike One, co-host also Mike in a moment. Uh, We are reviewing the movie Shirley today in an Oscar Sprint profile episode. Mike will tell you more about what's coming. We just wanted to start with a quick prologue today uh, to kind of explain to you guys. We understand that hearts and minds are still very heavy, as uh, as are our hearts and minds here at MMO, uh, with regards to what's going on with the protests continuing around the country. If you're looking for a more in-depth explanation as to uh, where and why we align ourselves with the Black Lives Matter movement and our feelings about that, we released two episodes last week uh, covering not only how Hollywood is reacting to the George Floyd protests, uh, but also our feelings on it. That said, uh, equality, both racial and gender, has always been one of our big focuses and will continue to be probably more of an emphasis for Mike, Mike, and Oscar going forward as we try to better ourselves in keeping that as part of this programming. That all said, we recognize that we are an award season podcast. We are a movie podcast. uh, So we are going to do what we do here and review movies and and try to get back to that. But uh, the equality issue hangs over all of us. The George Floyd protest hangs over all of us, and it will certainly not be forgotten. And it certainly won't be forgotten by Mike, Mike and Oscar here, Michael. Yeah, hearts are heavy. Uh, the minds are overwhelmed. And uh, I mean, across the board. So entertainment still has a role. And uh, you know, we're an enter- we're a movie talk show. We're an entertainment show. And uh, yes, I I do believe entertainment still has a role. It's something that we you know made made very clear last week in our in our two programs. And uh, today, you know, we're getting back. We're doing what we do. Uh, because that's why you tuned in in the first place. And, you know, if you if you want to hear more of our stance, listen to the last two episodes or the next two episodes, quite frankly. We have an Oscar race checkpoint. We have the five bloods of Spike Lee coming out later this week. That will, no doubt, address many of mm-hmm. these current stories uh, in, in the film industry and, and in the, the world over. So this episode is going to talk about gender equality in many ways, and I, I think that's a worthy cause as well. And that's what movies do for us, Mike. They allow us to you know the opportunity to address these issues and to learn about these issues more importantly and i definitely learned a lot of different angles that i did not understand in the past from this movie today even though it's on a different subject uh but but it is worthwhile and we're going to just review this one in a quick episode or in a uh in a, in a quick 15 minutes atop another episode, and it was too hard to do. We had too many thoughts. So this movie deserves its own review, and that's what we're going to give it today. Yeah, so that's what we're covering today here. We have Shirley, which is a biopic about uh, author Shirley Jackson. So like Mike said, we're going to try to provide some, uh, maybe a distraction if you need it, maybe some sort of entertainment. We, we try to do that, and we're not very good at, at being the entertaining type, but we talk a lot, so maybe you can find something to laugh at us for. We haven't felt entertaining in a while. <laughs> I think we've been, you know, I mean, as the whole world, I mean, everybody's yeah. been focused and, and that's a good thing. And rightfully but so, yeah, yeah. We got to get our entertaining muscles flexing again somehow. <laughs> we'll see. Go for it, Mike. Let's talk about Shirley. Well, Shirley Jackson wrote The Lottery as, as a short story that kind of launched her career. She would go on to write The Haunting of Hill House. We have always lived in a castle. Many things that have been adapted. I know they're going to make a lottery movie coming out pretty soon, but this particular film is based on the fictional story uh, adapted from the novel Shirley by Susan Scarf Morell. And I just put that on my audible listening, uh, you know, wish list there. And I'm going to have to get into it because I'm, I'm done. I'm curious at how close this is to her real life. And I'm curious at, uh, you know, the artistic license involved, but to, to be frank, there has been some license involved there. Yeah. You, uh, you told me to read the lottery for this episode and, uh, I, I even didn't. sent you a link too. Yeah, no, I know. I saw it. I stared at it. Uh, that's that's as far as I got with 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 doing that. Well, you considered it this time, right? Yeah, I did. I definitely did literature. think about it. That's for sure. I did. Okay. It was it was on my mind. <laughs> the Progress. movie Shirley is directed by Josephine Decker. Who, she burst on our radar with Madeline's Madeline in 2018. It was nominated for three Gotham Awards as well as a Best of Next Award at 2018 Sundance Film Festival. Shirley also played at this year's Sundance, and Decker was also nominated for a Jury Prize in autumn. Tour filmmaking. 
Yeah, she's going to be a name to watch out for. I for mean, sure. she's showing some serious abilities. Oh, my God. And Martin Scorsese was one of the producers yeah. of this movie coming off Madeline's Madeline for, for, for many reasons, but certainly because he has been a champion and a patron of a lot of uh, young filmmakers throughout his career. And that, that was, you know, that's definitely a mark of approval for sure, Mike. What would the money be that Marvel would have to throw at Scorsese to have him helm one of their movies? Uh, yeah, he, he would never at this point. <laughs> a billion? Does he do it for a billion dollars? No, no, he doesn't for a billion, but he would publicize that he should get a billion for his next property. Right. Because those budgets are going a little high these yes. days. But uh, Josephine Decker, though, who for some reason I keep calling Josephine Baker in my head. I had to cut it out. So if I call her Baker at some point, I'm sorry. It's, it's because of Sean Baker. And I was just watching the Floyd, uh, Florida Project on Netflix lately. So that I'm an idiot. Interesting. But hopefully I don't confuse her name but that's why i've been doing it and i'm becoming my parents <laughs> anyway shirley was written by sarah gubins a longtime writer producer of tv properties such as better things on fx and amazon's i love dick uh both shows uh, being golden globe nominated michael have you have you wanted to click on either of those shows i haven't gotten there yet though i'm mowing down some tv lately i did i i love dick does look quite interesting and i'm a sucker for anything Catherine Hahn does i've watched some better things better things is very very funny oh good yeah so so it's like a 30 minute sitcom yeah of that variety mm, not so it, yeah dramedy <laughs> yeah that's probably more appropriate but it also gets very inappropriate in and of itself so I just got Hulu, and FX on Hulu is like I'm mowing down one thing after another uh, on there with Fosse Verdon to what we do in the shadows. So I'm working my way down. If this quarantine keeps, uh, you know, being in place for us at least, then I'll get there eventually. But uh, we're, we're, we're movie critics first and foremost, not the TV critics. But look at this cast that they were able to put together from this screenplay. You have Elizabeth, Elizabeth Moss as Shirley Jackson. Michael Stuhlbarg, where have you been? Where have you been? Husband Stanley Hyman in this film of Shirley Jackson. You have Logan Lerman from The Perks of Being a Wallflower, etc. He is Fred Nemzer. And the story's protagonist, surprisingly so, I did not expect her to be the protagonist of this film, is played by Odessa Young. She's Rose Nemzer. And that foursome is worth the price of admission right there, Mike. But the movie also has Robert Wool in a weird role. He's from Arliss and Batman, but he's somehow like running a shop in this Vermont town. <laughs> Paulo O'Brien and uh, Orla Cassidy. Uh, there are also some big names in this ensemble as well. And speaking of big names, one of the big up-and-coming studios, Neon, they acquired the distribution rights of Shirley after its world premiere at Sundance. Shirley debuted on Hulu this past week on June 5th, and thus far, as far as critic scores go, it has a 77 Metascore with a 90% on Rotten Tomatoes on its first 118 critic reviews this as of Sunday. Its audience scores sit at 68% on Rotten Tomato, and the IMDb rating is at a 6.2. So high scores, and no surprise there. The plot premise of this movie reads, a famous horror writer finds inspiration for her next book after she and her husband take in a young couple. Mike, what were your expectations for this film? I, something off-center. Uh, this The preview that we talked about, and I think it was an MMOW, might have been one of our ORC episodes in ORC, but uh, the preview gave it kind of like a horror vibe, and... Mm -hmm. It seemed like we were going to deal with some mental issues. Uh, we get all of that for sure, uh, and it probably leaned more into the horror genre than I thought even I was expecting, even that the the preview kind of lent itself to. We were. It's funny, we were talking before we hit record. We don't know what we would classify this as, so I don't know that you could say that your expectations were met just because this is such a unique movie. A psychological drama was my best take yeah. on it. An indie psychological drama, <laughs> but that's not a genre anybody says, so I'm an idiot. But you're right. I think the the horror atmospheres in this movie, There's only, we're going to talk about production values in a minute. I think, you know, Josephine Decker could probably direct a horror movie at some point. For if sure. If wanted to change genres, that would be opposite of what most people do. Most people start in horror and they branch out from there. But uh, I think she could actually, you know, she's got the chops to get into horror if she wanted. But I don't know if, if I expected necessarily a straight-up horror movie. Maybe at most I was expecting something like The Favorite and how that would, you know, had some horror movie goods. And or Phantom Thread. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, one of those domestic drama with some effed up moments. And that that's kind of more we got. And I think I think, you know, in general we kind of expected that. Maybe some you know, hallucinations because she's a horror writer and, and you also got that as well. I'm, I'm, I'm alluding to things right now and I, I want to get into spoilers, but uh, <laughs> I'm almost there. I, I hope none of that's a spoiler, giving you a general sense. But I think marketing is a problem, right? Marketing, if you think this is a horror movie, you're not going to like this movie. It's not a horror movie. You won't be as offended as, say, what you did going into Mother. Right. Mm-hmm. If you follow the marketing for mother, because it's not like it's a misdirect. I think it's more of a case of, you know, you could market this any way you really want, because it's just a really odd type of film. So it's not I, I think it's going to be hard to kind of give anything away, despite however you cut a preview up or a trailer up. Yeah, it could be. And maybe it was an impossible film to market. And maybe that's why they didn't think they could pull it off in a theatrical release. You know, then again, you know, Hulu put it on, you know, their service lately. Neon might have had a theatrical... I know they had a theatrical release planned because this is eligible for Oscars and not Emmys. So it, it, it does fall into that pile. But I wonder, I wonder how the uh, pandemic affected this movie. But it, at the end of the day, it was an easy call for Hulu, I think. And this, this helped them. Yeah, for anyone curious, IMDb does have this listed as a biography, drama, and thriller. So that's, you know, that old teammate of those three genres. <laughs> Nobody knows how to classify this movie. And rightfully so. Josephine Decker is a master at this. Like, Madeline's Madeline. I don't know how to you know right. classify that either. It's about a bunch of theater kids, but I'm scared the whole movie. <laughs> Just need Josephine Decker to hang out with uh, Gaspar Noe and, you know, make their own type of genre from now on. Jasper knows he he does legitimately scare me. Like I'm legitimately scared. Anyway, Mike, we got some production values to talk about here. Kind of wanted to start with the cinematography, and this is where the Scorsese comparisons go. But really, it's just basically a mature filmmaker who wants to move the camera. You know, we've seen this only work when you are on top of your craft. This camera is always moving, and it really has has a has a deft hand to it. I loved how we're swirling around dinner tables, Scorsese and Tarantino style. I loved how we're in the tight close-ups. Yeah. Really, it's almost like horror movie atmospherics there with a lot of tight shots, with very few wide shots. And the only wide shots they really show is like when she's standing in front of a window and Elizabeth Moss is scaring the living daylights out of us. Or one of the uh, one of the shots at the end of the movie where you're focused on the main character and stuff's going on in the background. Uh, yeah. There's... I always debate within myself who's more who gets more of the credit when you have a, a horror movie or horror type movie, I guess, when you have these really drastic close ups and who gets more of the credit, the the cinematographer or the actor who has to like contort their face and give away so much subtext with every little thing because we do get a lot of i mean there's points in this movie where shirley's sitting at the dinner table and she's supposed to be like stirring the pot and stirring shit up a little bit and Mm -hmm. elizabeth moss has to like move her lip in just such a way so is that more elizabeth moss is doing or is that more of the director giving her that note or is that more the the camera work the director of photography catching it and getting just the right angle to make sure the light does well that that debate is constantly going on whoever get deserves the credit should get the credit for this movie with the camera work I'm afraid of Elizabeth Moss when she's not on screen. Like she's going <laughs> to pop up in a jump scare type of horror film. You know, I, I have that unease and that dread when I'm watching it. And even more so to another character that I'll talk about in spoilers uh, at a certain point. So that that's what was shocking to me. And that's what it was so effective to me from Josephine Decker and company. I do think that the sound kind of matches the visuals in terms of how you're you're just uneasy for this whole film mike because That's... we got all of the onomatopoeia in this like whatever your teacher taught you in second grade onomatopoeia was, you got all of it in this movie. Well, that's what I was going to say, and that's why you're scared, is because this is shot and scored like a horror production up to a point. I mean, you have this very string-heavy score for these dinner scenes that set the stage for Shirley kind of stirring her shit up, and when she stirs shit up, it's very uncomfortable. So you have these like low plucking notes from this mm. cello and you have this violin that's playing slowly and it's almost like it's coming straight out of a Jordan Peele score. And that's why I say like it's kind of horror to me and then it does turn around later in the movie. And then they're using like frogs croaking 
and trains mm. just clicking and all the train whistles blowing and then birds hooting and cackling. Mm-hmm. I mean, if this was Suspiria, there'd be witches. Right. You know, right. <laughs> you know, I mean, bells are ringing, violins are screeching. I don't think you should be playing those violins this way. Like, It just worries me. But like, remember Hereditary soundtrack? I tried to listen to that for like five minutes and failed. That's a bad like, idea, just to yeah, listen to that soundtrack. Oh, you get possessed by the devil. Yeah. I imagine this soundtrack is something similar though it probably lull you in more effectively like hansel and gretel like or something something you know i mean because th- there is a beautiful score to this as well I right mean, there's there's really a wonderful orchestra and it, and it's nice sounding at times and then oh, oh my god and then somebody's screeching and the music does get up i mean there's a turning point in in going into the third act or at the end of the second act where there's a turning point where the music does it's the same notes and the same instruments but it turns hopeful and it turns like whimsical yeah. and it's it's really bizarre and it's really well done they get you they get you for sure i think uh in terms of transitioning into the performances now we have more to talk about than i thought we would have i figured this would just be a an elizabeth moss gush fest but i I wanted to start with odessa young i thought she showed some showed a bright future here Showed, showed some real chops i loved her choice to have different tones of voice, like major tonal changes, and how she delivered lines from when she was in public, when she was at a party, and her fi- the face she had to put on there, the face she had to put on getting to know Shirley, and then, you know, just like we all do, that voice when you're just leveling with someone. Like, I, I love the choices she made in this. I think she's got a, you know, a hell of a career ahead of her. She plays innocent almost as well as Elizabeth Moss plays, like, vindictive and angry. <laughs> But yeah, they are a great yin and yang playing off one another. And anytime, I mean, we know what Elizabeth Moss is capable of by this point. So anytime you can be said in the same breath that you held your own in scenes going up against Elizabeth Moss, I, I think you nailed it. And you could say the same about her going up against Michael Stuhlbarg and how you know professional of an actor and how great of a performance he puts on. And yeah, I agree. She holds her own in all of those. And she's very believable and very innocent and com- very coming of her own and, and finding her independence within herself. And she has probably the, I mean, not probably, but I would say arguably the greatest arc, the greatest yeah. character arc for the whole movie. I think so. And I, I also like the performance because there are tinges of it that seem to ha- show her character learning from Shirley. Yeah. And, you know, she didn't have those moments earlier in the film. Like the way the way they got out of arguments was to do something else that we all want to do. <laughs> and we'll talk about it in the spoilers. <laughs> Maybe only that. No, I think uh, I think she she had a certain way of conflict resolution in the, the first hour of the movie. And then later on, I mean, she's really finding her voice and it does remind me of Shirley at times. And I think that's deliberate. I think the actor is recognizing that her character would, you know, take after Shirley. In it's many funny ways. too, because it's almost like she's echoing Peggy from Mad Men, which mm. was how Elizabeth Moss came on to, you know, burst onto the scene through that role where she's very lost and innocent and this doe like creature that's just learning the ropes and then comes into her own by the end of the movie. Yeah, or us at Mike, Mike, and Oscar. I mean, <laughs> right. It's the same, same arc, general arc. But I think we want to say something about Stuhlbarg. I'm a little surprised I can't say everything about Stuhlbarg here, but he's always good. And I know you're going to go crazy I over him, him, but I. I was so surprised that he is likable and hateable in this film, and the way he plays both is is incredible. Why are you surprised? It's Michael Stuhlbarg. But I've never really hated him. You know, I guess, I don't know if it's a slight spoiler, because he's kind of hateable in the very first scene. You know he's this shitheel of a womanizer in yeah. the very first scene. Oh, he's and a if scumbag you this movie. Yeah. I mean, he's a shitheel of a character. He's very much an antagonist of this film, and yet... Uh, and yet we still kind of like him. He's still charming as hell. He puts forth a very pro- polished veneer uh, within this performance when he has to. And then he's one of those guys. It's like the evil stepmother. You know, when you're talking to somebody, when you're talking to the king who's trying to find all the eligible bachelorettes in town to see who the glass slipper fits. He's he's very calm and nice. And then when he's behind locked doors and locking away the, the stepdaughter and Cinderella in the castle, she, he's a bitch. So, yeah. <laughs> He pulls it off amazingly, but I, I think he was incredible in this, and, and it's because he is so believable as part of the reason why. 
I mean, he was just playing the old professor and call me by your name entirely without any malice. Right <laughs> here, you have all this malice. Like we were talking about nocturnal animals before the, uh, the the show today, and like you know, Michael Shannon could have played this character too. It would have been a different character, but he could have pulled it right. off too. Like I mean, you could have had an overt just gross kind of guy in in this part who plays bad guys all the time and they didn't go that direction they they chose this charming affable guy who had uh who had definitely you know from the jump he declares who he is but uh you know you don't necessarily want to believe it at first you're a smarmy dick is what he is yeah it's exactly the type of character and he pulls it off oh great People should use the word smarmy more often <laughs> and have to spell it, too, because that would be funny as well. Mike, we got to get to Elizabeth Moss. I mean, she is the star of the show. I would think she'd probably be in the lead actress categories at the end of the day, but there is an argument to make that she could be supporting, and maybe that's her route. That was actually but, a question I was going to ask you. If you yeah. were the Academy, the Academy of Also Mike, or you were Neon, you know, Neon's Also Mike studio, where would you Put oh, if I'm Neon, I'm pushing her for supporting, yeah. no doubt about it. Like, think that I think that's her best chance coming out of a June movie that only went to streaming in a year where the Oscars are going to be pushing the theatrical experience, you know, pretty hard in terms of glorifying the films at yeah. the end of the day, right? So I think uh, I think her her chance is is a supporting category, but she's also like the titular character. Yeah, I was going to say, I think if I saw her as a support, I mean, we're talking, it's it's it's, it's this layered conversation because we're going to talk about whether we think this has any Oscar legs, actually, but just in a vacuum talking about this one performance, I would think that's category fraud if I saw her being pushed as a supporting actress. Yeah, but category fraud is the uh, the way to win. Right, that's true. It's just every year, pretty that's much. True. I mean, we've only had a, I mean, the Regina King part was probably the closest to a pure win of a quote unquote supporting actress in a while, right? Probably. Yeah, we, we, I'm sure we can, you know, we can mention a few. But well, Allison Janney was truly supporting. Yeah, I mean, I mean they've, yeah. they've they've been hit or miss. Couple here, a couple there. It's but it's in half. I mean, Sam Rockwell. I mean, I don't want to remember them all now, but Mahershala Ali. I mean, had more screen time, <laughs> right. You know, more effect on the plot. Yeah. Right. Anyway, uh, I think uh, Tom Hardy does need to take all the notes. From this performance, Mike, because we just reviewed Capone. <laughs> Somehow that's our last review, right? Is that yes, our last review I before Shirley? Yeah, I think it what is. What the fuck are we doing? God, this quarantine <laughs> needs to end. Tom Hardy is the opposite of Elizabeth Moss's performance. And this is what I was trying to get at. Like Elizabeth Mo- Moss plays restrained in the scenes where you'd think she'd blow it out. And then she blows it out when she's like, you know, trying on a dress. Like, that's when she chooses to be, you know, extremely emotional. And then when she's fighting her nemesis at the end of the film or having a, that final comp- confrontation, she's playful. And she's toying with the woman. And, like, I love that juxtaposition. And that's why I think, you know, this this is going to be a performance we're going to remember at the end of the year. Like Leonardo DiCaprio said, right? He's like, you got to deliver lines the way the audience wouldn't expect you to deliver yeah. them, right? When yeah, he's given his good, acting advice out there. She totally does that. That's a good recall. Yeah, Elizabeth Moss is fantastic in this. My only question was, I have yet to see Invisible Man. You had saw, saw in theaters. Comparing those two, obviously this one is probably more of an Oscars-like performance, or at least what would be considered an Oscars performance historically. But considering comparing those two, does this hold up to what uh, she did in Invisible Man? I'll be honest with you. I think she's doing more here in the subtext oh, wow. and all the small small moments. But the Invisible Man performance is a much louder performance. Right. I mean, it, that's the genre, perhaps. I mean, she's running for her life, and, and and I think you know it's 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 a harsh transition in the Invisible Man in that performance, which is why I, I think horror movies it's, sometimes get a bad rap if you don't blend that uh, that arc very well and almost seamlessly it's like you almost need a character who's kind of calmer like a Hannibal Lecter or like a uh like a Jodie Foster you know to 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 get in at the end of the day the over-the-top performance if it's at breakneck speed like the Invisible Man was in my opinion like you know Lupita Nyong'o was in in our opinion we just loved it right. like we thought she nailed it 
I think uh, Moss did a it did a great job in The Invisible Man. I cannot see that getting nominated over Tony Collette not getting nominated over Lupita not getting nominated. To me, it's not quite close to those. Right. Yeah, I mean, the only chance it would probably have is probably writing on the backs of there's been no movies released theatrically and what is the Oscars right. actually going to do and blah, blah, blah. That's a totally different conversation for a different day, though. But yeah, as far as Elizabeth Moss in this movie, she's fantastic in everything. I don't think she should ever leave the horror or horror adjacent genre ever <laughs> because she can make an entire career doing this. Best evil smile in the yeah. biz yeah. by a lot. She, by a and lot. her not eyes since, are so vacant when they need to be. Oh, she's great. Not since Daniel Day-Lewis, really. I mean, he had that smile that you were like, oh, shit. Plot's about to go down. <laughs> People are going to get hurt. Margot Martindale's got it in a meadow way for yeah. us. Yes, she does. <laughs> it's point. a very, it's a weird Mount Rushmore of faces. <laughs> Those are scary. I never want to go to visit that Mount Rushmore, maybe on Halloween. But, Mike, uh, to get a few script thoughts out there, obviously, you know, this movie reminds me of Josephine Decker's Madeline's Madeline, of course. There's also not really a ton of plot on the surface. But rewatching this movie, there's a deceiving amount of plot in here. And I think that's a testament to the filmmaker because she's so good at atmospherics. She's so good at focusing you on a certain detail, on a tarot card or whatever in in this movie that you're like, oh, my God, tell me more. That's intriguing as hell. I need 10 more scenes on that. And then she kind of withholds from you and you're dying to know what the where the hell that was going. And you don't realize it till later in the movie. So she's a master at that. And I think uh, you kind of get caught up. And, and the plot kind of goes over your head a little bit yeah. on first watch. Yeah, and I think the over-the-head thing is what's going to be the explanation as to why maybe the audience scores are a little lower than the critic scores. If you put some thought into what's going on, uh, you get more out of this movie, I think, and out of this script. I can see people getting... I got lost at a couple points in this script, and they're trying... The script tries to intertwine and blur the line between reality and fiction or reality and mental uh, sure. depression or anxiety or whatever it is, and it, it gets tough, especially towards the end, to kind of connect the through line and see what reality is uh, as far as what this movie presents it as. So I can absolutely see people who go to the movies just for a distraction or just want to have something on in the background getting a little lost and getting a little upset and not finding it worthwhile to retrace their steps. I love a movie like this because the relationships are so complex between all four characters and all and, and really... I would say there's a triangle for each character. I don't think Shirley necessarily interacts much with Fred. She kind of just doesn't pay him any mind. But she does react with Rose and obviously her husband and obviously this character that's the subject of the story. They all have like this triangular conflict, which they teach in screenwriting school, to make sure you have. And, and you're right. I think, that, you know, after first glance, maybe I got the... You know, the relationship between Rose and Shirley to a degree, but I really didn't get the Fred, the Fred Rose relationship. So I was like, what the hell is that? And then when she drops a line uh, on your head, that means, you know, something for each of the relationships that Rose has, like she does in this movie. Then I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe that had connotations beyond just just, the, you know, the what was in the text and who she was talking to at the time. This movie is really masterful in, in its script and how in deep in, in depth it is. And there are some lines in here that are just I want to bathe in them. <laughs> there are some lines that are written so eloquently and perfectly. And it's just like it'll give you goosebumps. I Yeah. I mean, as a screenwriter, as somebody who, who loves just that Mike Nichols style drama, that domestic drama, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf. It remind me kind of that. I mean, people are talking trash and you can see their motivations at the same time. Like, it's just not good guys, bad guys. Everybody is just a total fucking mess mm-hmm. uh, in, in who they are. So there's 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 real growth here. So and I don't think it's triangles of toxic just, relationships is what it is. I yeah, mean, it's like and I, I got to get rid of one toxic relationship to depend on someone else, which in and of itself is also a toxic relationship. So it doesn't help. And what's good is that Josephine Decker is not coming down as this moral arbiter in this film. It doesn't have that heavy hand at all. It's making you think, 
on, on, on how, what's right and wrong about all these relationships. And I think that's super important uh, in these modern times. So it's just presenting you with this, leading you towards their reactions of it at the end of the day. It's cathartic to see where they land, but it where they land is not necessarily, you know, you got to weigh it. You, is this a happy ending or not a happy ending? You got to weigh this right, one. Right. It's, I, it's one of those fascinating watches. I think you hit the nail on the head with what you said right there. But all of that said, and because of the difficulty it may have gaining a general audience, because it is a summer release, and because we don't know what the fuck is going on with 2020 as far as award season goes, I, I saw your copy, and I think you, you nailed it again. It's exactly how I feel about it. This just seems like something that's going to get forgotten in time, right? I mean, not forgotten in so far as we, it, it's not a memorable movie, but forgotten for the award circuit. If, you know, we're putting money down... down. I would say that this will be a Gotham, an indie spirit right. film, and Elizabeth Moss will get nominated there. And maybe Elizabeth Moss, you know, if, if her if her next movie t- comes out, you know, in, t- in time, because I know a couple, a couple of her films are, are on the schedule, but the, she might not, you know, who knows, they may get bumped. She might get nominated for that when she was better in this. That always happens. Right. You know, where an actress, you know, and everybody's saying, Robert Pattinson was great in all these things. And, you know, why didn't he get nominated? He was very good in Twilight. Do you see Twilight? He was great in Twilight. (laughs) No, I think think you're absolutely right. And um, this could just add to Elizabeth Moss's... 2020. I mean, she could win this year like right. Adam Driver had a 2019 and maybe it doesn't end up in any serious awards for her, but it's just a, a resume of outstanding performances. That said, I think there's a lot going against this being actually considered for any sort of Golden Globe or Oscar nomination when the time comes, whenever the time does come. That being said, maybe, you know, the field is so diluted and could maybe be. it got more eyes on it now and Hulu's, you know, doing very well. So who knows? Maybe the uh, the critics could get some momentum going, especially if grassroots campaigns aren't happening at the film festival. I mean, if there is a, a vacuum of people to nominate because we don't have the same kind of film festival season that we usually do, maybe this is one of those, you know, underrated films that becomes properly rated at the end of the day. And it's got the right machine behind it, that's for sure. I mean, Neon, Mm -hmm. you can't ask for a better studio to handle your marketing. So, The last MMOW we did, we were talking about Netflix and how they're posturing their films. This is a similar situation. And the end of the week, we're going to talk about the Five Bloods on how they're posturing things, too, because they have kind of an awards fringe movie here with with Shirley, just like we hope, you know, the Five Bloods at least will be a fringe movie. Hopefully, it's right smack in the middle of it. But I I I, I think uh, it's fascinating to see these movies coming out in June, Mike. Especially in this year. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, no, I I echo everything you say. Obviously, we both are very high on this. We both say watch. Yes, watch it. Watch it for sure. I think on you Hulu. need to be in the right mindset. I think you gotta put it on and kind of give it the attention that it's due. Maybe treat it like an international feature and really dive into it. But yeah, I, I think you can gain a lot from it if you give it the uh, the proper attention that it, that it kind of merits. I tried to watch it a second time where I was kind of half paying attention and it didn't work at all. Like I had to shut the laptop and give my sec my rewatch it's due attention. Then I was like amazed by it. Cause I'm like, you know, most of the way done. I was like, I'm not gaining anything from by osmosis here. You know, if I'm trying to write shit. So it, it definitely, you got to focus on it. hundred percent. Uh, let's get into spoilers. Spoilers ahead. This is a spoiler warning. Spoilers. Spoilers. This is the spoiler section from Mike, Mike, and Oscar, the Oscar Sprint Profile review of the movie Shirley. If you have not seen the movie yet, uh, this is a good place for you to hit pause. Go watch it on Hulu right now. We'll be here waiting for you when you come back to hit play after you've seen it. If you've seen the movie already, if you're just curious about our thoughts or if we've hyped up the spoiler section for you so much in the non-spoiler section that you cannot possibly go another second without hearing our takes on it, this is where you want to be. All spoilers for the movie Shirley, the Oscar Sprint Profile review brought to you by Mike, Mike, and Oscar. All right, Michael, let's dive into this kind of unique picture here. 
I want to start with Stolberg because he had some of the craziest scenes early on in this movie. Number one, he's the guide at the party when the kids come off the train and they, I'm calling them kids, they're, but they're 20 somethings and they're the Nemzers walking into this party for the first time. And he's trying to liquor up the husband and he's trying to send the wife to the, to the food table. Mm-hmm. And you realize he's a fucking asshole in the scene. And yet he's super charming. And then they are, they're holding court her Shirley's holding court, you know, in, in her living room. Cause she's not leaving the house. And you're realizing that this relationship is very, who's afraid of Virginia Wolfie, but you're wondering how toxic it is. But I just love the consistency of Decker and Gubbins here and how they introduce the characters. You almost feel, I mean, you don't almost, you feel like this is a fractured marriage from the jump and you feel like these are two people that don't like each other. Uh, Mm -hmm. One, because of Stuhlbarg's introduction to the, the Rose and Fred and doing what he does there. Two, immediately after that, when Rose goes to introduce herself personally to Shirley, Shirley just treats her like she's any number one of his her husband's floozies that she knows. I mean, we get the implication right away that she is aware that her husband has not been loyal. But you come to find out that these two are very much dependent on one another still in later mm. scenes. So that's kind of like a reversal of expectation. And when Stolberg asks Rose to be their housekeeper, I mean, is there a slimier way to do it? I don't think I was. It was fucking gross. Stuhlbarg in his classroom coming off. He's like, yeah, I'll give you free room and board. You know, no big deal. Hey, would you mind being my cook and house cleaner and just keeping up everything and taking care of my wife who might be losing it a little bit? And I like uh, hot food and hot weather. (laughs) Yeah. And he's dunking on him at the end of that. But I love a rump roast. His connotations is probably sexual harassment. The way he, you know, looks at her and and touches her there. I mean, Jesus, what is wrong with this guy? He's scum. And uh, I mean, Stolbarg plays it really, you know, in depth. And I, I, I give him credit for it. And I love their reactions too in that scene. But, you know, basically like the showcase of this film is every time, you know, there's there's a dinner table scene or every yes. time there's just this electric back and forth. And that first dinner table scene where he actually coaxes his wife out of bed for the first time in a long time. And he doesn't want her to pe- behave herself because he instigates the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And then it goes even worse than he thought it would go. <laughs> and everybody hates everybody. But he thinks she feeds on that, which she does. Yes. And, and that's going to get her, you know out of her depression he thinks he hopes but he also liquors her up he's the devil i'm pretty sure if michael if <laughs> there's point. someone's actually if the devil does exist it's michael stolbarg from shirley i mean he is very much the manipulator right from the word go everybody he even the one of the ways he coaxes shirley out and this is where you find out that there is a dependent relationship between the two of them there is something if it's not love it's maybe some kind of toxic glue holding them together but well, surely you don't want my work to suffer too as a result of you not getting out of bed, do you? Oh, I have to keep going trips. to work. So I need this woman, Rose, to come and take care of you during the day. I mean, he's so manipulative in every line of dialogue. And of course, Stuhlbarg is one of the greatest actors we have. So he makes it as believable as possible. And you you, you just you feel like your insides churning watching this guy do what he does. And you're exactly right. The way he does finally get Shirley out of bed is basically saying, hey, go have your fun. Go piss off Fred and Rose. And maybe that'll spark some creativity in you. He doesn't leave well enough alone either. I mean, he when he interacts with Rose, I mean, that was the grossest scene ever when he hovered over her neck while she's making breakfast. And then she realized she thought it was her husband and she realizes it was him. And then he comes at her with like crumbs in his beard from breakfast saying all these gross things. You better call me by my first name. I was, God, it was grooming her. It was reviling, revolting. Both of those things. It was terrible. <laughs> what the, what happens on set after those scenes are shot for the fifth, sixth, and seventh take? Like, does Stuhlbarg leave Odessa Young, like, an apology bouquet of flowers? Or, like, I'm really sorry for what this script asks me, my character, to do of you? I, I understand everyone knows it's a profession and they're signing up for this and it's not real life. But still, just as a human being, thinking about even being paid to do that to another consenting adult, it creeps me the fuck out. It's so insidious. Yeah, I mean, that's what that's why this movie is so much more in-depth than I thought it was going to be, right? I didn't think this was going to be the issue at the center of it. And it it really builds to the, the higher stakes example of life and death for the girl. Yeah. And it, it just the, the B plot mirrors and directly connects to the to the A story here, where you have 
the 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 story within the story and and the writing of the the hangs a man novel being about this woman who's knocked up by a professor in town it's not like some other you know professors in some other town it's in that college town she's knocked up by her professor she has a miscarriage she kills herself is basically the determination of shirley at the end of the story so Oh my God! I mean, that d- connects directly to what's what's happening. And, so let's, and this is like a Me Too movement movie. Can we dive into that a little bit because that's introduced? I mean, Shirley has these vivid visions, I guess we'll call them, uh, and she has them a couple times throughout. And it's the melding of reality and what she's writing about, and she yeah. kind of has these flashes. And I, I'm piecing this together, Mike. So tell me if I'm wrong or you have a different interpretation because no, I know there was some you. stuff that was over my head. But she has these flashes that pictures Rose as both the main character, but maybe with some Shirley in her as well during these visions because she kind of was wearing the same clothing as Shirley was at different points and had the same shades of stuff on and all that. But what I got and where this movie gets a little tough to follow if you're only casually viewing it is those two lines between reality and what Shirley is writing about, they weave themselves in and out. At first, they're very distinct and separate, but towards the end of the movie, they get very melded together, and you're not really quite sure what, at least I wasn't really quite sure what the main story, what the actual movie was. So when Josephine Decker used this narrative device, started to use this narrative device, I was feeling like it was going to be heavy-handed because you see this in movies before where movies about writing in particular where the author starts to use a touchstone, another character that they know in real life and puts their face on the character that they're writing in the story. So I've seen that happen before. I can't. It's on the tip of my tongue. I don't know if it was Barton Fink or another movie that I saw it happen before, but it's happened and it aggravates me. A little bit. But then the way she played it out and the way she paid it off, it totally works. It was brilliant. Uh, And I think that it's scary at times because, you know, that character's in the bath with her. You realize how obsessed Elizabeth Moss is. And then you don't realize that the object of her obsession is this inherent insidious problem of sexual assault in the community. And you realize that this is, you know, what the, the life she and why she in many ways, why she's probably so depressed based on this issue and why she wanted to write the novel in the first place. You don't realize any of this until the end. And it, it blows your mind in that uh, that finale on how uh, on how she handles it. So was Shirley projecting? Yes. The entire like was her infatuation and her kinship and friendship. And Fred alludes to this at some point in the movie. Some uh, woman like Shirley has no friends. And that's kind of I mean, that's you can't get more foreboding than that. We all know an unhappy ending is is awaiting. But was Shirley ever I mean, I guess it begs the question. Was Shirley ever actually enamored with Rose or was she only enamored with Rose as she fit Shirley's writings? So I think at the end of the day, it was more of the latter. At the end of the day, she was using Rose. That's Shirley was using it too, yeah. Rose in, in, in many ways. And that's something I want to talk about in worse scenes too, because there might be there might be something very wrong about that, morally wrong, in my opinion. Well, but, go into uh, it. No, go, go into it. I'm curious. I want to hear your thoughts. Well, how much sex did they have? And was that sex, you know, had... Uh, with a power imbalance, I've watched this movie kind of three times, almost two and a half ass time, right? And, you know, she's her employer. Shirley is Rose's employer, essentially. It's a strange arrangement, but it is, you know, uh, an arrangement there where you have a woman 15 years, the senior of a girl who's living under their roof, who's, you know, vulnerable, just gave birth. And, uh, you know, her husband's scrapping for their financial future. Their husband's cheating on her. She knows her husband is, you know, Shirley knows that Rose's husband is cheating on her from the jump because she knows the bullshit about the quote unquote Shakespeare society. Mm -hmm. So I'm still insecure with what happened between Rose and Shirley, because if Shirley, that's going to be my next question. If they had a, a a tryst there, 
you know, and I'm not saying that the, the Josephine Decker is portraying this as correct because I don't think she is, but that tryst is, I, I mean, I have a moral objection right. to that tryst because, you know, again, it's employer employee and you're taking advantage of a, of a young person who looks up to you. And Shirley in and of herself is a manipulator as well. And she's very aware. I mean, she manipulates situations this entire movie long. She's very aware of what she's doing. She's maybe the most self-aware character we've seen in a movie this year. Uh, Never mind. Yeah, but the fact that she is actually instigating a sexual encounter with the woman that she, whose face she projects. Right. <laughs> this is disgusting. She projects on a murdered girl, right. on an abused girl in the town. What the hell? So I would almost, I took that scene, and when, when Rose and Shirley do kiss and they do start making out, the implication clearly is that there was a sexual relationship from that point on. I took that scene as literal, as part of the actual reality of this movie. Right. I'm wondering now if that didn't happen at all, and that was just Shirley's creativity, uh, finding her create, creative spark, because that was the lone point where the score turns hopeful and whimsical and uplifting. Okay. And it was a little, it was so jarring to me that the scar, using the same instruments that have just been used to set this horror tone, this horror movie type tone earlier in the picture, has We're going to have to rewatch this, it. Right. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously we have to. Was but. she wearing the red coat is the big question. Yeah, Did she have be, yeah. the different hairdo in that, in that scene where they flirted? But if All right, if that didn't happen, then why was she so cheerful at dinner? dinner? Right. Was she just Right. Was she just infatuated that she had her creativity <laughs> back? Or was she actually, and then was she actually molesting Rose under the table at dinner? I guess it would have to be real. But it, it does, this is what exactly what I'm talking about when I say these two storylines they get tough to follow, which is the intentional. I mean, that's what I think what, what Josephine Decker is going for here. It's super complicated. Yeah. I, I give the script a lot of credit. And then I love the ending because the ending is super complicated. You think it's it's simple in how she clarifies the narrative device. I mean, obviously you recognize that Rose Nemzer goes off with her husband to her new apartment, basically changing the parameters woman. of their ma yeah. marriage, right? And she's like, you're never going to put me in this fucking situation again. That was madness yes. or however she put it. I'm not going to play the little wifey, quote unquote. I'm paraphrasing a lot of the quotes within that delivery. I just thought it was awesome. And she's like, I'm done with that patriarchy bullshit little wife getting the story little Rosie was madness I mean one of those yeah. lines I talked about oh my Love god it. and you know her aspirations earlier in the film were, were to you know get her doctorate and you know that so you you would hope that she would have those opportunities later on I wonder if in the novel she is supposed to be the writer necessarily and she's I wonder if it's written in the first person I guess is what I'm saying because I think if it is then you're you're kind of taking her as the writer and then therefore obviously she does get her career going so that's that's hopeful in itself and working on multiple levels but you know the the, the way that Shirley goes back to 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 Stanley is just kind of gross and it's it's, so it's not a happy ending for Shirley. <laughs> absolutely I mean, Shirley yeah. is not this wholesome character even though you're kind of half rooting for her after you get past the you know the quarter quarter mark no, these are, I mean, Stanley and Shirley are two not-so-savory people that I think mm. both very much understand the ways in which they get what they need out of each other. And that's why they're still married, and they don't leave. I mean, Stanley's an adulterer. He cheats. I mean, th there's a scene where the, the dean throws this big holiday gala that a lot of things Love come scene. to the hand. Yeah, it's a great scene. A lot of things come to the head. And Shirley has to sit on the couch and watch Stanley schmooze and wine and dine all these different women when she also knows on top of that that he's sleeping with an untold number of them. I mean, she claims that she knows exactly who her husband is sleeping with and having affairs with, and that comes up as a way that she kind of needles rose a couple scenes later but and she knows that he knows that she knows right exactly. and that everybody exactly. knows that she knows that he knows that <laughs> they're but, putting on a play and Shirley is is just as if not more manipulative in her own way so that relationship I, I think they're very much aware of what's going on it's very toxic but they're two people who want to be toxic because they think their toxicity brings out the best of them creativity create creative Whatever that word would be, Lee Wise. <laughs> no, they're selling their souls to the devil. Right. And then the devil is in their relationship, literally and figuratively, from now on. I'm going to be forever scared of Elizabeth <laughs> Moss, of Michael Stuhlbarg, here on out. 
Odessa Young, I will uh, root for no matter what in the next movie because I rooted so hard for her in this one. But yeah, this is uh, this this movie has an impact on you. It really does get under your skin, and it's it's worth the rewatches. Uh, Mike, you want to get into any final thoughts here? You know how offended I am by mediocrity, Michael. <laughs> This is not that. No, this is <laughs> this is not that. My God, it, well, I, I would say watch the movie just for that dialogue by Stuhlbarg alone when he's at the scene after he just kind of got rid of Fred and basically not so subtly told Fred that he thinks he's a joke. Um, mm. But there's some dialogue that is spot on. There are some scenes that make your skin crawl. It's not a perfect movie. I feel like I say that when I'm very high on any movie, and this does have some pitfalls that maybe I didn't get into. I didn't like the sex scene between Fred and Rose. I we get it. I thought it was. Fairly good. Yeah, too much nudity, too much sex, but that's just us being proved. Exa- exa- it's point, exactly probably. Right. Exa- probably exactly right. But no nudity ever anywhere, <laughs> never mind in movies. If that's, everyone that's isn't stance. wearing a burqa, I don't want it. Yeah, no. If we're single and not getting any, nobody else can get it. <laughs> not, that's what, I just I, can I say the darndest I mean, thing? Not just quite. Say it, put it I don't there. know if that's exactly where I was going with that, but yeah, sure. Well that's what I'm going with that. I'll, I'll go on. <laughs> Um, this for me, this is 80, 85, 86 hard B all day long. Yeah, I got a B plus 87 on this one, I think. It's one of 11 movies that have that great or better thus far in the year. I'm sorry, 12, because The Painter and the Thief. I just you know watched that oh, again. I bumped that up. So I got tw- I got a dozen movies at this point, and I, I'll have to get back to you guys on how many movies got the B plus or better ranking last year. I think it was in the 50s or 60s. So we're not, we're by, by, you know, this is halfway through the year. We have not gotten enough good movies yet. Yeah, no, but at the same time, movie theaters haven't been open for three months months now and it's nice to know there are yeah. these options available to you at the you know the touch of a remote where you can get a high quality picture look in some year maybe this year if everything breaks right this could make some noise at the awards level i personally don't think it'll happen this year but we just laid out in the non-spoiler section there's a blueprint at least for which this could kind of sneak through the cracks and get some momentum yeah. behind it so it's not impossible and certainly you have to have a high enough quality movie for that to happen in the first place and this is that I'm rooting for it, and I'm not going to forget this movie. And yeah, I mean, maybe not tonight, but at some point soon. I I do want to study this movie again. Maybe when award season is clicking, what I'll do with this one is I'll kind of compare this one to kind of an award season movie, or at least something released during that time of the calendar year. It's what I did last year with Us. You know, you got to rewatch Us. You got to rewatch Toy Story 4, you know, just trying to kind of compare them, uh, you know, apples to apples at that point. So that's my plan with this one. And then for a palate cleanser, you throw in Legion. And you watch that on DVD. No, you don't. No, you don't. <laughs> and you're wrong to do so. Guys, obviously, this is available on Hulu. Like we said, we do want to hear your thoughts and your grades, your takeaways, your highs and lows from the movie, Shirley. You can leave us those as well as comments, questions, concerns about anything else we do here in the MMO Empire. You can reach out to us and leave us those. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook. Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Instagram at MM and Oscar on Twitter. Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We are available everywhere you hear podcasts, including an especially Apple podcast. If you would be so kind uh take a few seconds out of your day if we are entertaining you during quarantine and during this time of unrest if, if you as a distraction if you wouldn't mind leaving us a five-star review on apple Podcasts, that would make our days pretty special as well michael what is coming next from mmo and what are some words of wisdom to end on you know it's wise to uh to 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 listen to other voices right now that's, that's all sure. i'm going to say in terms of uh any words of wisdom i don't want to i don't want to drop any yet i mean i'll get back to that i know it's a gimmick for us we have fun with it but you know i still feel awkward about doing that at this stage in terms of what's coming next i kind of said it throughout the episode we're playing an oscar race checkpoint we're going to talk about can we're going to talk about the all, all the stuff the academy's doing and what they're saying and the meetings that they have on the do- docket uh we'll probably talk more about that next week after they you know follow through on on their plans but we got the five bloods we got the king of staten island we got two more film studies to make and that we're we're excited to do so we said we've been hyping it up all all may so we're glad to finally get these movies reviewed and uh, so far we're one for one mike and i think you know you're probably right i kind of i was a little harsh before legion maybe not i'm just that movie get, you know i have a acid reflux when you say that movie to me because you actually do watch that movie instead of other great movies that you own like uh, that are on your shelf there. Literally, that happens. I but I don't see how that's relevant to this conversation at all right now. William Bibiani <laughs> and Chris Gore would agree with you. So, all right, I'll change my mind. 
<laughs> Guys, when reality or the DVD you choose to watch sucks, you can come watch these better movies with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness. We will see you all very soon. See you.